Amen. Thank you for the call. If you have your Bible support, I invite you to turn to uh, Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 2 through 32 this morning. And asking ourselves the question, what's it take? On Father's Day, we're thankful, and, and perhaps some of you got uh, some Father's Day gifts. Um, and Father's Day gifts are not known for being quite as good as Mother's Day gifts are. Uh, mothers get, you know, big bouquets of flowers and breakfast in bed and, you know, spa certificates and dads get soap on a rope and ties. And uh, so we, uh, of course, ladies do a better job at marketing, uh, I guess, than dads do. And, uh, but we appreciate our, our fathers, but uh, all of us uh, occasionally will ask ourselves, what does it take, what, what am I supposed to be after? Uh, and so, not only are we going to talk about what it takes to be a good dad uh, this morning, we're going to talk about something much more important, and that's what does it take to be a good Christ follower. What is Jesus looking for? Uh, because can I tell you, dads, especially listen, that if you want to be a good dad, first be a good disciple of Jesus. And then the good dad part will follow. Um, because being a good uh, disciple leads to being uh, a good father. Having that relationship with the Heavenly Father, who's the best of fathers, uh, helps you to be a good father. So let's take a look at what Mark has to say for us this morning. Beginning in verse 2, it says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from uh, by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared uh, to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus and themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things that they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising of, from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And now it is written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah is also come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it was written uh, of him. Uh, 
And when he had came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes were disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed, and running to him, uh, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son uh, who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes the teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O foolish generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him uh, to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But you can do anything, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And so he said to him, This kind can only um, come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed... He will rise again on the third day. Uh, In verse 32, But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. What an interesting recording uh, that we find here in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus uh, going with his innermost circle, uh, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, uh, where the transfiguration takes place, and uh, you know, so they get up to this mountain, and all of a sudden they see this bright light, uh, Jesus is, is glowing, uh, his clothes are like white, whiter than any th- clothes that some of you have white shirts or white slacks on. Whiter than even that, whiter than you can even imagine, and brighter so that it, not even the dry cleaner can get it that uh, sparkly white. Uh, and then they saw Moses and Elijah as well. Well, to us as uh, non Jews, we think, what on earth is that all about? 
Well, the Jew, when they celebrate the Passover, and even still to this day, they leave an empty seat. And that empty seat is for Elijah. Well, not uh, the prophet Elijah himself, although that's what many Jews do believe, but it was a way of God showing that there was going to be a Messiah and a deliverer that was going to come. And Jesus wanted to make the point that he was that deliverer. And, that, and so Peter and James and John knew about that Passover tradition, and they knew about that empty seat at the table, and they, you know, sing a song, and, you know, you know, say, maybe next year Elijah will come. But God promised that the deliverer would come. Jesus was that deliverer. He has indeed come. So they saw it, they still today even, uh, they still celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, they build little lean-tos. Uh, have you seen, uh, if you uh, have been by a Jewish synagogue, I think it's in the early fall usually. Uh, they, will, they look like lean-tos, we would call them lean-tos. They're just poles with some uh, a tarp or uh, some fabric covering them, and it, one, face, one, one side is open. Uh, so they can see the sky. Uh, and, you know, that, that feast was to remind the children of Israel that God takes care of them. And so Jesus is getting ready, and he's starting to teach more and more about what his ending of his earthly ministry is going to be. He tells them that he's going to suffer many things, that he's going to die, but he's going to come back again. He's going to be resurrected from the dead. They don't understand that. Why? Because dead things tend to stay dead. If something's dead, there's not much hope for you can't bring it back. Under most circumstances. But God can. And God has demonstrated that multiple times through the Gospels. And he'll demonstrate it again in the last days when he comes back yet again, when he comes back a second time to claim his church. Uh, and so uh, several things uh, are happening here. And so, so Jesus says to them, don't tell anybody what you have seen about Jesus and Elijah and Moses coming down uh, don't tell anybody that you've seen that until after the resurrection. And so he says, they didn't. They kept it themselves. They got back down to where everybody was at, and they saw this great crowd gathered, and the scribes and Pharisees were there. And So I'm sure they all thought, this, all four of them thought the same thing. Oh boy, here we go again, more trouble. What are they stirring up now? And so Jesus goes down there and he says, what are you all talking about? And it's interesting, they don't answer. It's the man that answers of the son. He speaks up and said, I have a son that's had this issue and the, these demons from childhood have been attacking him and he you know, has these seizures or convulsions and sometimes he's gotten put, you know, he's fell into fires before. Uh, sometimes he's drowned in, in lakes and you know, all, nearly drowned uh, because he was swimming or whatever when these things happened. Um, and he said, 
you know, so I brought my son here hoping that you could do something to help us. So that evidently is what they had been talking about. And so Jesus says to, to, to this father, no, you know, if you believe, God can do anything. They didn't see God will do anything, but if you believe, God can do anything. God is all-powerful. And if you belong to him, he's on your side. The Apostle Paul asks it this way, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, if God's on your side, you've got the winning hand every time. And so the man replies, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I do believe, that you're capable of this, that's why I brought my... But this had been many years that has been going on. And so the boy had become discouraged, his parents had become discouraged, as any of us would. He said, I want to believe, Lord, and I think you can do something about it, but we've just been through so much, we've got our hopes up so many times over the years, we just don't know. So he said, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus spoke to this evil spirit, commanded him to leave, and he did. The boy had this major convulsion. And then still, that he was so still, the people thought he was dead. But Jesus reached down his hand and lifted him up and stood him up. And they saw, no, he wasn't dead. Later on, the disciples were gathered with just Jesus. It was just Jesus and the disciples. And those nine disciples that were left, remember Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain with Jesus, so there were nine of them that were down there arguing with these scribes. One of them says, we tried to cast this demon out, but we couldn't do it. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out with much prayer, and fasting. In other words, this can only happen by the power and the movement of God in a situation. So what does it take to be a Christ follower? What does it take to be a faithful believer and see God work in our life and through our life? Well, I want to suggest quickly this this morning that there's three things. And the first is this. It takes knowing Jesus. The first thing that it takes is knowing Jesus. Peter, James, and John walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They knew the scriptures. They knew tradition. But more important than the scripture and tradition was they knew the Savior. And they had seen what Jesus had been doing, and they knew that he was who they said he was. Now, did they have it all figured out? Absolutely not. We know that already. We've seen it in the Gospels. And if you know how the Gospels end, 
You know, they, they don't get it even after Jesus is on the cross. Even after Easter morning, they don't fully get it. It's not until Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes and, and empowers them to see, and then they finally see and understand much better. But still, even then, not perfectly. But in order for us to be the people that God wants us to be, we've got to know Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about just knowing Jesus' name or being able to quote John 3.16, although it's getting where fewer and fewer people can quote John 3.16. You can quote John 3.16 all day long. That's good. And I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have it memorized, memorize it. But having it up here in the brain doesn't do you a whole lot of good. It does do you some good. But it doesn't have its full effect until it gets up here in the brain and it filters down here. In other words, until it becomes part of your life. Until it becomes part of who you are. And when Jesus becomes part of who you are and in every part of who you are, you see God work in your life. And God is constantly working to remake you and to shape you into what he wants you to be. But it has to start by knowing who Jesus is. There are a lot of people, there were people in the first century, and there have been all through time, people that claim to be a savior and a Messiah, the one that God has sent to deliver his people, but there only has ever been one man who came to deliver his people and to be the Savior, and his name was Jesus Christ. And he's the only one. In fact, he says, I am the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the one-way road. And there's no other road to get there. But friend, you have to know that road in order to get on it. This father had heard about this man named Jesus and all the miraculous things that he had done all throughout this region. And he said, well, maybe. And he was at his wit's end. They'd been probably to every doctor. They'd been to every witch doctor. They'd been to every sorcerer. They'd been to everybody. And nobody was able to help them. And so he said, maybe this, I've heard about this man named Jesus. And he had to believe at least a little bit for him to take his son and go find Jesus, and then find Jesus not there, hang around for a while. And remember, they were up on that mountain three days. And so Jesus said, he just spoke, and the demon left just like that. Because he was all-powerful. But this man had to have heard about Jesus. You didn't just stumble upon Jesus, did you? No. Somebody whether it was a preacher or a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker, somebody shared the gospel with you and 
fact, probably many people shared the gospel with you, and many gospel seeds were planted in your life before finally one of them began to sprout. The seed has to be in your life for it to sprout. And so Jesus reminds us through this uh, transfiguration with the three disciples and then the casting out of this demon that the only solution that any of us have is knowing Jesus. It has to start with beginning and growing in a faith relationship with the Savior. Satan knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But he ain't going to be in heaven. Because not just the fact of knowing who Jesus is. It's knowing him as Lord and Savior that makes the difference. And so that's the first thing, is that it takes knowing about Jesus. But the second thing that it takes is trusting Jesus. Again, we're going to see as we go along, it's kind of a progression. It's not just knowing about him. And as we grow in our Christian walk, we're supposed to grow in our knowledge and in our relationship with Christ. We start out, Paul uses the analogy or the wording of newborn babes in Christ. Far too many churches have far too many problems, and the root cause of most of those problems is it has a whole lot of baby Christians hanging around. Can you imagine if our church just had, it had you know, two adult members, and we had 26 kids in the church nursery. It wouldn't have adult members very long because we'd all say, hey, we ought to hear. We can't handle these poopy diapers and crying kids uh, and so many of them all at one time. Now, we all start out as babies in Christ. But eventually, we're supposed to lose the diapers and the pacifier and become mature believers. So we, we don't stay babies in Christ. We grow into spiritual maturity so that, and, that we don't have to stay on baby formula anymore, but we can enjoy the meat and potatoes of God's Word and the meat and potatoes of serving Christ and knowing Him. And that takes trust. It's trusting that Jesus is who He says He is and He can do what He says He can do. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He paid your sin debt and my sin debt, the sin debt of all the world, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the crux of the gospel. It's not hard to understand. It's simple. All you have to do is believe. That's what Jesus tells this man. If you will just believe, in other words, if you will just trust that I am who I say I am and that I can do what I say I can do, your son can be made well. 
And his reply was, I trust you. I believe you. Help me in those spaces where I don't quite trust you just yet. Peter. He speaks up, and sometimes he's like some of us. He speaks before he thinks. Uh, and that gets him into trouble a lot of times. Peter didn't have it all figured out. And Peter made some pretty big mess-ups. And yet Jesus forgave him and restored him. And Peter went on to be a tremendous leader and preacher in the early church. Why? Because Peter trusted Jesus. He didn't have it all figured out, but he knew that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He knew that when Jesus said something, that he could take it to the bank. That's why when all the other 11 sat on the boat in the midst of the storm, when Jesus was walking on water and they were afraid it was a ghost and they were going to their death, Peter said, if it's you, Lord, call me to come out and walk to you. You remember Jesus said, come. Peter trusted that it was Jesus and trusted that Jesus was going to take care of him. So he got out of that boat, which was at that point relatively safe. It was safer than being in the water in a storm. But he left the safe boat and got in the very unsafe water. Now, he did sink because he took his eyes off Jesus and put it on the waves, but he at least got out of the boat. He had more trust in Jesus than any of the others did. And then when he began to sink, what did he do? He cried out, Lord, save me! And Jesus reached up and picked him back up. And then they got into the boat together. And Jesus commanded the the storm to cease. He trusted that Jesus was who he said he was and that he could do what he said that he could do. This man did that. And can I tell you that the same is true in our life? We have to come to that place where we learn to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. And if we say that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he's the Savior of the world and that he has saved us, and we are no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price, then that means we have to live like it. And we have to trust Him. And so that means that when issues come, we take them to the Lord and we leave it there. We don't take it to the Lord and then pick it back up and take it with us. We take it to Him and we leave it there because He's the only one that can do anything about it. And so if you want to be the man, if you want to be the woman that God created and desires for you to be, you've got to trust Jesus. You've got to let him be God. You've got to come to that place in your life where you say, you know what, I'm not God. I don't want to be God. I can't be God. And when I try to play God, I make a mess of things. And all of us at some point in our life has tried to play God. And it hasn't worked out well at all. But here's what happens. When we let God, who is God, be God, things work out. Not always the way we want them to and when we want them to, how we want them to, but they always work out. 
Because God is faithful. And so it takes trusting Jesus. And then lastly, I want to remind us, it takes worshiping Jesus. Jesus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is how a lot of people treat him. And the only time they show up for church, or the only time they pray, the only time they call the preacher and say, hey, listen, I need to talk, is when something bad has happened. And the something bad that has happened most of the time is something because they have been wandering away from God and doing what God told them not to do. And they've been disobedient. And so they're seeing the consequences of that. We're supposed to be Jesus' followers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All the time. And the truth of that, Jesus said, if I don't have you 24 hours a day, I don't have you at all. Now, when Jesus makes claims like that, it's not that he's saying that we have to you know, be on our knees praying 24 hours a day. Our knees would get tired. Or that we have to, you know, be in church all the time. But what he is saying is that we understand that we are still Jesus's even when we walk out the doors of this church. Even when we walk onto the football field or into the stadium or onto the lake or onto the golf course, we still belong to Jesus. And we darn tootin' better act like it. And so, Peter reminds us here in Mark chapter 9 that it takes worshiping Jesus. The disciples again ask Jesus, why couldn't we cast this little demon out? It was a deaf and dumb. It couldn't talk, it couldn't speak, it couldn't hear. Why couldn't, why couldn't we get rid of it? And Jesus' reply is basically, you have not worshipped enough. It is only by prayer and fasting, those are things that we do, spiritual disciplines that we do that help us to grow. You know what? Prayer and fasting is something that all of us need to grow in. I'll be honest with you, all of us could do a little more fasting, amen? Uh, And uh, because we've been doing a little bit too much eating, so now we're ready, we can do some fasting. We don't do those things so that we can be saved. The Bible says you do those things because you are. And prayer and fasting are two spiritual disciplines. Going to church is another one. Corporately worshiping. Should you worship individually? Yet I think God expects to hear from you every day. And you can sing and you can pray and you can read your scriptures by yourself. And that's good. And in fact, when you do it by yourself and you're prayed up and read up and you come into church, guess what happens? God shows up. But if we haven't prayed during the week, and we haven't read our Bibles during the week, we haven't done anything that helps us in our spiritual walk through the week, what's going to happen? Nothing. Not much, anyway. So we are not, you know, going to church is a spiritual discipline. You know, giving of our finances, giving of our time, those are spiritual disciplines. They help us grow in our faith. So 
there's lots and lots of different ways that we worship, things that encompass worship. And we need to be doing those things regularly. Now, it's Father's Day. You think if we were to ask fathers here, that Colby is John's son, he's seven, about to be, no, about, he is seven, he's going to be eight, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's hard to keep up with kids, they get, grow up so fast. Let's ask, John, would it be okay if you only saw, saw Colby once a year? It would not be okay. There would be something wrong with that. And John expects for, to hear and to see Colby regularly throughout the week. And can I tell you that even when Colby turns 18, and Lord willing, he gets a job and he moves out of the house, guess what? John's going to still expect to hear from that boy more than once a year. And not just, hey, Dad, I need some money. Hey, Dad, I didn't put oil in my car and my engines blew up. Can you come rescue me? He's going to expect to hear from Colby regularly, on a regular basis. And I tell you that God expects you, if you're his child, he hears from you more than once a year. Not because hearing from it makes him your God. Just like Colby would be John's son if he never saw him. But because he's John's son, guess what? Colby loves to hear from his dad. And his dad loves to hear from him. Can I tell you that that's the way God wants it to be? And that's what worship is. When we worship God, when we do these spiritual discipline practices, hey, they knew we were talking about them. The kids just came back in. <laughs> they, 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 they knew we were talking about it. Uh, listen, when we read our Bible, when we pray, when we gather corporately for worship, we are saying to God, God, you are important to me, and I love you, and you're my God. And can I tell you that you cannot see the power of God working in your life if you are not growing closer in your walk with God. If you're not praying, you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to church, you're not going to be the person that God wants you to be. You're not going to reach your full redemptive potential. Will you be perfect if you do all those things, if you pray every day and you read your Bible every day and you even showed up for church every day? Would you be perfect and have everything put together? No, you wouldn't. But can I tell you that your life will be a lot better? And God will be a lot closer to you. And you'll see God working in your life a lot more because you're paying attention to him more. And that's what God wants. And that's what it takes. It takes us knowing who Jesus is. It takes trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, understanding that he is who he said that he was, that he was the, and is the Messiah, and that he is the Savior. And trusting him to do what he says he can do. And then, lastly, worshiping him. As old adage, we're going to close with this, friend, you can rest assured that 
if you do not teach your children how to follow God, this world will show them how not to do it. And so don't be surprised. I met, you know, parents that are lackadaisical in their walk with Christ come and they say, Preacher, I don't understand why my kid's not interested in the things of God. And here's what the answer is, because you've told them it's not important by how you've lived your life and by your example. And so make sure that you show young people and young believers the example of what it is to be growing in a relationship with Christ so that they can follow in those same steps. And they will. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, thank you for this reminder that if we believe, you can do anything. Lord, as this Father said in the Gospel, we echo today, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, if there's one here today in the auditorium or one watching on the internet that doesn't know you and they've never trusted in you as Lord and Savior, would you help them today to receive that free gift of eternal life? May they receive you as Savior. May they begin to trust that you are who you say you are and you can do what you, what you say you can do. And Lord, once we are saved, Lord, remember that it comes, we see the power of God working in our life because the presence of God is there. Lord, that comes by worship. Corporate and private worship is where the, the power of God comes into our life. So help us, Lord. Forgive us when we fail to worship you like we should. Forgive us when we fail to trust you like we should. God, help us to know, to trust, and to worship, we pray. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this hymn of invitation. If God spoke into your heart and there's a decision that you need to make, today would be a great day, and this would be a great time to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's sing uh, uh, this chorus this morning.